Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Salt to Salt. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievan. Great to be with you here once again, back in Joburg, back in the studio, and back together to life. Last night, I got to attend an incredible event here in the community, and that was the Siam Hasha celebration. And the previous week, I got to experience it at the MetLife Stadium in New York. And that was with nearly a 100,000 Jews. What an experience. There we were squished like sardines in the cold, frigid weather. And here in Joburg, boy, was it nice and pleasant. I got to hear Rabbi Pesach Kron once again and a little bit more up close and personal. And then, of course, the dinner, the entire experience was outstanding. And a big uh, kudos, Yashikach, to the Dirshu organization from Rabbi Ari Tabak that is uh, putting this type of event together. It's really Truly incredible. And I'm going to continue our Tanya series, but just the significance, the importance of Torah study as it is. And firstly, you know, we study the Hayom Yom, which is a little insight from the Rebbe that he wrote in the 19, early 1940s. And today's little insight was about the importance of connecting with our soul, studying Torah every single day of the week. It's important, firstly, to start with our Chumash study, to recite our daily Tehillim, to study the Tanya and have the right Hashkafa perspective on life. And then, of course, there's many other study opportunities, whether it's Daf Yomi, whether it is Halacha Yomi, whatever opportunity, as long as we're learning and connecting, because to us Jews, Torah is our lifeline, just like water is to a fish, just like Oxygen is to a human being, to a Jew, we need the Torah. In fact, you're all familiar with the story of over 1900 years ago when the temple was being destroyed. And one of the great sages of the time was Rabbi Yochanan Medzakai, very famous personality. And we know that when he met with Vespasian, who was the general to become the emperor of Rome, the Caesar, he granted, he offered Rabbi Yochanan three wishes. And Rabbi Yochanan asked for Rabbi Tzaddik to be cured, he asked, he said, Tenli Yavna Vechachamel, that's the most famous request, he asks, give me the city of Yavna and its sages, spear them, don't destroy them. And some of the scholars, some of the great sages of the time, were upset with him. Why did he not ask for the temple to be speared? And perhaps the answer very simply is because the preservation of Yiddishkeit would not be by shrines and temples, but rather Rabbi Yochanan knew very well that the only way that we can ensure the continuity of Judaism would be to study diligently of Torah. And that's why he asked for the scholars to be saved. Because even if the temple would not have been destroyed, that's not what would save Yiddishkeit. Only our steadfast commitment to the study of Torah. So being at such a magnanimous, impressive event, it was a very important, very important event to participate in for myself and for all those who've come and were part of this. And I think about the Siam Hashas that I was at, both the one in New York, which was at the MetLife Stadium where there were nearly 100,000 people, and then there was an overflow at the Barclays Stadium in Brooklyn where there was another 20,000 people. And then the one here that was yesterday at Wanderers Stadium, it got me thinking, where do the, where do we have the celebration in a stadium where ordinarily it's the sports that's being played? And anyone who's a sports fan, whether it's cricket or football or whatever sport, you're a fan of, you certainly, it's like the family talk. It's the discussion. What do we talk about? We talk about the sports. How's our team doing? How do they play? 
And for those who study Torah and want to make it a real part of their life, it's about exactly that. You come home, you're in the car with your kids, you're talking to your spouse. It very much what we study that day plays an important role in our life. It's not just – we Jews don't just study. It's not just words. When we learn something, it becomes an actual part of our life. It permeates our very being. It becomes who we are. And it's something we talk about. So you look at the stadium, and usually it's the Giants and the Jets who play at MetLife. And hey, when I was there, it was a different type of Giants. It was the Gedolim, those who get to study the Torah and become giant in their own way. And Jets indeed, you know, spending the holidays on buses, planes, and trains, we got to be on the go. we got to be constantly moving and growing in life because that's the only way. You stay in one place, it's not a good sign. You gotta be constantly moving onward, upward, growing on the ladder of life. It doesn't matter which rung you're at, what's important is the direction you're heading. And as long as you're not moving up, you're probably falling down. So don't let that happen to yourself. Jump on the bandwagon. Now's a good time because the journey of a thousand miles always begins with one step. So yes, to cover 2,711 pages of the Talmud is quite a high task. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes seven and a half years. But when you start now, the very beginning, or any other mission you want to study. Study the daily Chumash. You live with the times. You got to just do it. You got to study. You got to start. You start somewhere. It's so, so important that we do exactly that. And, you know, on the way to the Siamashas, I chose not to go by car, but rather we took a train and a bus. And on the way, we saw another bus broken down on the side of the road. So, there we had cars pulling up and tons of people just getting into the cars, getting rides straight to the stadium. And I just thought, does that happen on the way to any ordinary game? Or is this something unique to the Siamashas? And when us Jewish people, what keeps us together is that we're united. We look out for each other. So when you're studying, it's important not just to keep the study for yourself. I recall in my high school days, I was struggling with my study of Talmud. And then one day I was reading Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens, a great book, by the way, for any teenager. It was a book that really made a big difference personally in my life. And I was it's written by Sean Covey. I was reading the book, and he said, just think about how much information we read. And this was back in 1999, 20-plus years ago. Information overload was an understatement compared to today how much information we're fed in every direction, whether it's on our newsfeed and social media, you name it, in every direction we've got so much information coming our way. Do we absorb it? How much news do we read? We get the newspapers delivered to our homes. We go on the internet. Everywhere we go, our emails, our WhatsApps, flooded with information. How much of it do we absorb? How much of that information do we retain? And... His suggestion, which certainly is one that's supported in Torah as well, was anything you want to retain, make sure to tell it over to at least two people that day. So instead of reading his book and forgetting everything, I made a point of sharing it with a friend, sharing it with my mother. And when I was struggling with studying the Talmud, I said, hey, why don't I have to do exactly that? So each evening, a couple of times a week, I would sit down at our kitchenette table, while my mother was preparing supper for the family, I would learn the Gemara with her. And boy, was that such a mutually beneficial opportunity. 
She enjoyed it. It was geschmack. It was enjoyable. And for myself as well. And in order to share information with someone else, you have to understand it well. So it helped me clarify and crystallize the information in my own mind by teaching it or sharing it with my mother, who perhaps was not used to the study of Talmud, but it certainly was beneficial for me. So that's an idea I share with you that when you study, teach it to someone else, share the information with another person. I'm reminded of one of the groups that was celebrating at the MetLife, and it was a big deal, and actually they were written up about in the New York Times, and it's a great story. I think this group started already back in the 80s, 1980s. They live in the suburbs of New York, in the Long Island area, and as one who, myself, I lived there for a couple of years, if you want to get into the city, you could either be stuck in traffic and then have to pay for parking, or there's an easier option. You take the Long Island Railroad. It's a little more comfortable than taking a regular New York City subway. Generally speaking, you have a seat. Probably cost a couple of bucks more as well, but it's a little bit more of a pleasant journey from the suburbs into the city. And this group of people were together, and different people were studying Talmud. So one day, one of them had a suggestion. Instead of each of us studying independently on our own, why don't we join together? And we could prepare, one of us could prepare a shear each day, prepare the daf, and share our insights with the others. So they all agreed on this idea, and they started the Long Island Railroad Daf Yomi Shear Club. And each day, a different one of them, until per- certain one was designated as the official Magid Shear, the one who was going to daily give that class. But they would study with each other the Daf Ayomi, the page of the day. And when that cycle of the study was concluded, they decided they were going to make a celebration. Just as everyone has a big ceremony celebrating the conclusion. And I recall I was at the one, like I mentioned last week in MetLife. But in 2012, I was here in Joburg. I did not get to go to the CMHS. But the one before that was in 2005. And being in New York last week, I actually found my ticket at to the CMHS that I was at at Madison Square Gardens in New York. It's quite nostalgic to think back to then that that was the previous CMHS I was at. And uh, yeah, personally, <coughs> I may have started a few times, haven't yet concluded. It's not about the shas, about the daf per se. It's about being part of a regimented program that you're actually studying something within this program. And it's not too late to join along. We think about this group from the Long Island Railroad, how they looked after each other. And they wound up having this daily study. And when they concluded, they sponsored a seum on the train. That's right. They brought catering on the train. They brought a band, an orchestra, to play music for them on the train. And the participants in this party were not just the group of people who learned, but it was some of their fellow passengers who traveled with this route with them and were impressed and marveled, including the conductor, including the ticket collectors on the train, because they would see this group every day and they got to know them and were so impressed with them. The other week in New York, after the Siam, a rabbi from New Jersey was pulled over for uh, some kind of traffic violation. And the cop said, tell me, rabbi, did you do your duff? Did you study your page today? But the rabbi was a little bit bewildered, caught off guard. He said, what do you mean? And the police officer said, you know, I was on guard on duty on New Year's Day at the stadium. And watching you guys celebrating the study of your religion's fundamental principles, 
to me, that was marvelous and outstanding. He says, my New Year's celebration until now is just a party. And to be witness to such an impressive event that you celebrate study, he said that was outstanding for him. And he told the rabbi, if he promises to do his page of the day, he'll let the rabbi go. And I just think of these little anecdotes, how it's something that the world is impressed with. We should be proud of. It's something that keeps our Yiddishkeit going. Some of you may have heard of Saul Litvak. Saul Litvak is a fellow, he goes by the name, the Accidental Talmudist. Accidental Talmudist. How does he come up with that name? Let me share with you a great story that I heard from him firsthand. Saul Litvak says he was going through a personal midlife or young life crisis. He was looking for some deeper meaning. And this must have been about 14 years ago, I think. So he popped into a Judaica shop in his neighborhood in Los Angeles where he lives. And he's looking around thinking, what book should I buy to just connect with my heritage and find some meaning to life? Well, he sees nicely stacked pile of Talmuds on sale, 50% off. Well, you can buy a book that's on discount and it's Talmud. He's heard of the Talmud, although he wasn't sure what it is, never really delved into it. He says, why don't I buy that book and see what it's about? So he picks up the Talmud, makes his way to the checkout counter, and as he's about to pay, the cashier says to him, Mazel tov. So did you just finish the cycle of the Shas? Did you just conclude the Siyam? Are you starting your new daf today? He looks at the cash red cashier as this, what are you talking about? And the guy explains to him, have you not heard of daf Yomi? He says, no, tell me, I don't know anything. And the fellow explains to him about this concept of studying the daily daf. And then tells him, in fact, yesterday was the Siyam. And we're starting a new cycle today. So when I saw you holding this tractate of art scroll Talmud Brachot, I figured you must be starting the new cycle of the study. Well, Sal says, I guess this is accidental or coincidental or what we call Hashkacha practice, divine providence. I guess I'll give it a shot. And he begins studying, but he doesn't understand. So he reaches out to a rabbi to explain to him what the Talmud means. And since then, Sal Litvak has made the study of Talmud so much more accessible and explanatory to a person who's perhaps uninitiated, perhaps not engaged or involved. And hence he got the name the Accidental Talmudist. It's about connecting with our heritage. And there's so many opportunities right here in Johannesburg. I'll tell you at our shul, Santon Central, our Chabad Goodness and Kindness Center, every day you have the opportunity to study with our rabbinic interns. We have between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. Anyone, you don't have to be a member. You just walk through the door of the shul. And whether myself or one of our interns could learn with you. You pick a topic of your choice and connect with your heritage. You could learn with Moses, Maimonides, and some rabbinic rabbis in training. So this is what I want to share with you today, how impressed and touched I was attending the Siamashas both here and the one in New York. And I think for each of us here, it's about even if you didn't study the Talmud, but when your brother gets married, you celebrate. And therefore, it's so impressive to see so many of our fellow members of this community who did conclude the Talmud. It's something worthwhile for each of us to celebrate, to celebrate Torah study and to be part of this in the greatest way possible. And we'll continue our discussion just now. 
Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And we are talking here lots of soul, lots and lots of soul. And let's talk a little bit about our, I spoke about the learning, how important it is. And I got a request here, why don't I talk a little bit of Tanya. And Tanya, just to remind everyone, as wonderful and beautiful as the Daf Hayomi is, it takes seven and a half years to study, and I encourage anyone who can go for it, do it. The Tanya is a little bit easier of a task, and you can conclude it each year. And when you study Tanya, and by the way, you could do both. There's so many things to keep us busy. There's no reason why a Jew should ever be bored. There's so much for us to study. And we've been studying Tanya, so I guess I'll share with you a few insights of Tanya, but maybe even to recap a little bit of some of our previous discussions, because we were talking in previous weeks um, a, a lot about different emotional benefits that we actually accrue when we're in touch with our godly soul. And yes, when we study Torah, when you study the Dafyama, when you study Tanya, when you study Halacha, you're in touch with your godly soul. And it gives you a whole different mindset and perspective of life. I'll share with you, I don't know if there's time here to share, but people I know who previously were not observant Jews, who were previously not engaged and involved, and they talk about the metamorphosis, the complete transformation their life went through, when they were able to tap into this nefesh alakis mindset, the perspective, you learn Torah, you see your whole life in a completely different way. So I don't want to talk about shedding negativity because uh, about because that's coming in from, so to say, a little bit of a pessimistic aspect. In fact, I, I heard from Rebetzin Esther Jungreis, who was here in South Africa a couple of years back. She's already no longer with us, unfortunately, but... She was a dynamic personality, and she spoke at the Sana and Daba, and she shared one of the great stories that she shared, just outstanding. We speak in last week's portion about Yaakov, Jacob, our patriarch, how he lived 147 years. But if you compare it to his father, Yitzchak, right, to Isaac Abramson, he lived 180 years. Why did his son, Jacob Isaacson, only live 147 years, 33 years less? There's various commentaries, you know, a person's life. But one of the commentaries explains, if you look at the verse of Pharaoh's interactive interaction, his discussion with Yaakov, there's 33 words describing their communication, their dialogue, and Yaakov's complaining, lamenting about how difficult his life was. And indeed, it was difficult. Whether it was his own sibling rivalry with his brother Esav, whether it was losing his wife at Rachel at a young age, whether it was the hardships he had with his father-in-law, whether it was the story with his son Yosef, every part of it was difficult. It was challenging. And so he says, Oy, it wasn't easy. But Rebbe Tanesta Jungreis points out those 33 words, which perhaps symbolize the 33 years less that he lived than his father, includes the question of Pharaoh to him. So why would that be relevant? I could imagine deducting years based on his words back to Pharaoh, his answer, his response. But why does it include the question in which Pharaoh asks him about his life? And Rabbi Zanesta Yunkar's answer is by saying that Yaakov looked abyssal depressed. You looked at his face, you saw it was downtrodden, it was melancholy. <laughs> he looked morose, lugubrious. And Rebetzin Yungrei says, you know, that's why Pharaoh asks him, hey buddy, what's up? Our face doesn't belong to ourselves. And she went on to describe how when her, she and her family 
were taken to the horrible concentration camp to Bergen-Belsen. You know, my father was in Bergen-Belsen after the war. As a young child, he was there and the, it was a DP camp. Imagine what it was like just a couple years before when it was a concentration camp. And she says everyone around them was depressed. You could imagine people who enjoyed a decent good life until this point were now completely bereft, stricken of their, taken away from any independence, and here they are in a concentration camp. And so her father said to her and her siblings, your face is not yours, it's public property. So many people around us are sad. You can uplift them. You could put a smile on their face. You have a smile on your face. And she said, her father told them, how great of a mitzvah you don't understand, you can't imagine. It is to be uplifting and encouraging and give some optimism where everything around them was only negative. So indeed, it's not about, we can't just focus on our negativity. Of course, people have challenges in life. We all have our difficulties. We all have our shortcomings and flaws. And it's important to acknowledge, to recognize, to be aware of them. And we might be overwhelmed by our daily stresses and hardships. All that is true. But in Tanya, it discusses those matters. It's part of life and they have to be addressed. Personally, I prefer to focus on a different area, an important part of Tanya. And that's why I want to take us into the 31st chapter of Tanya, which we'll probably discuss in greater detail next week. But there we shift gears and we talk more about positivity. How do we suffuse our lives with with uh, enthusiasm, with gratitude, with joy, with love, with optimism? How do we become more confident? And that's an important discussion for life. And I think it's important that every person taps into this discussion. And I invite you to participate by talking with me. Perhaps you want to share, send your message into the studio line and tell us what is it that helps you deal with stress. I know a lot of people now, hey, the holidays are over. What do we do? Well, let us know. You could actually send a telegram to 061-895-1019 or send a studio, uh, send an SMS to the studio at 34519. Hopefully you have these numbers and speed dial in your phone, save them in your contacts. So you could interact with us here. What works for you? And today I'll share with you some of the Tanya's ideas because it is important for us to really find ways. It's a new year. It's a new beginning. It's 2020. We want that clarity. We want that vision. How can we be a little bit happier with our lives? And so, in fact, I found a really great questionnaire. Generally, this questionnaire is conducted as an exercise that one spends some time on. Maybe I'll throw a couple of questions out to you and you could give it some thought and just think about some of these. So here's the questionnaire. It actually comes from a book called The Oxford Happiness Questionnaire. It's a compact scale for the measurement of psychological well-being. It's a, it's for personal, for personal individual differences. And in this publication, they go through a couple of life's Challenges. Here, let me throw a couple out. Indicate the degree to which you agree or disagree. You could do this all mentally. If you're driving, it's fine. You could just continue while you're driving and think about these and uh, give it some thought. So how do you feel? Do you feel particularly pleased with the way you are right now? 
Now, when you do this as a learning exercise, you actually give yourself a score between one and five. You add your score up later, and it will tell you where you're holding on the spectrum. But for now, just chew this over. How do you, do you feel pleased with the way you are? In general, the Jewish perspective is never to necessarily feel, yes, I, I am pleased. I should be glad with where I am, but always wanting to grow spiritually, mentally, psychologically, and who wouldn't want financially or other ways as well, right? Are you happy? It's good. It says in Perkyavat, there's no usher who's truly wealthy. Hasameach vechelka, one who's pleased with their lot. That's true. But if you can grow in any ways, let's take this test, how we're going to go through the next year, through 2020, and grow in some ways. So we'll continue the questionnaire right now. IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Let's continue with some of these questionnaires, some of these thoughts to keep in mind for the coming year. Am I intensely interested in other people? A very important part, as I mentioned on the way to the Siam Ashas, had the bus stuck on the side of the road and cars coming by, people picking up others. I got to say how many new friends I made just going to these places. And it's important. Do we live our lives just for ourselves? Are we just self-focused? Or do we care about others? Do we show and express interest in our spouse, in our children, in our siblings, in our parents, if we're lucky to still have them, in our coworkers? Do we live in our own isolated little hub? So this is an important question to bear in mind, and it obviously plays a role in your happiness score. Next one. Do you feel that life is very rewarding? Very important question to ponder. How do you feel? Do you have warm feelings towards other, to almost everyone? That's the question. Do you have warm feelings toward almost everyone? Or do people get on your nerves, under your skin? How do you feel about that? Is that something you can work with for the coming year? How about this? Do you wake up feeling rested? Do you wake up feeling rested? Now, of course, it's important for our well-being, for our health, to get good rest. And <laughs> most nights... I know I don't, but that's just reality. That's life. I find I'm a little bit more irate in those days that I get less less sleep, less than less sleep. And when you're studying, sometimes there's no time for sleep. We take little uh, power naps. But being rested, important one. Am I not particularly optimistic about the future? How do you feel about the future? I know there's tremendous emigration from the country. It's like a mass exodus happening. How do we feel about the future? I'm not going to give any of my own commentary here now. Just throwing out ideas for the 2020 vision, again, from the Oxford Happiness Questionnaire. And next week, when you join with us, and by the way, you could come Wednesday evening to our JLI class, Wednesday evening JLI, where we're going to discuss this in greater detail, and you'll get some real tips and tricks from the Tanya, from the Talmud, from Jewish literature, from one of our great scholars on Wednesday evening at the Chabad Goodness and Kindness Center at my shul, Santon Central Shul. Do you find things amusing? What interest do you take in life? Next question. Am I always committed and involved? Here's a good question. Are we just spectators? Do we just go with the flow? Or are we involved? Do we play a role? When we see something needs to be fixed, do we only know how to point out the flaws, the problems, what's wrong, the negative? Or when we see a problem do we realize we could actually be part of the solution? Very important question to ponder for the coming year. How about this? Do you agree or disagree? Life is good. Is life good? Is it lekka? Well, question for you to consider for a good year. 
Here's the next question. Do you think that the world is a good place? Do you laugh a lot? Are you satisfied about everything in your personal life? Not just about the world around you, your personal life. How do you feel? Okay, here's something that sounds a little bit more shallow or maybe artificial, but it's, an, it's a question to consider for your own well-being. Do you think you look attractive? Now, again, is there a gap between what you would like to do and what you have done? And guess what? There's plenty of time. Don't just rest on your laurels. But we could get things done. Life is not coming to an end. The apocalypse is not here. And we are meant, it's 2020, we gotta have that vision for a bright future. Are you happy? Are there ways you could be happier? Do you find the beauty in some things in life? Right? Do you have a cheerful effect on others? We talked about Rebbe and Esther Younger, so about having that smile. We could think about Yosef Hatzadik, and very much to compare him with Moshe Rabbeinu in this week's Parsha. But Joseph, a person who went through his own tumultuous life fraught with challenges and difficulties left and right from within and without and yet he one of his key ingredients to success was his happy disposition always a smile on his face always showing care concern for another very important can you fit in and find time for everything you want to do now the truth is there's no way to do that but maybe it's about prioritizing about finding what's most significant and important in your life? Do you feel that you're in control of your life? And if you're not in control of everything, what are you in control of? Think about what you're in control of. Go back to Viktor Frankl's thoughts about realizing you're in control, perhaps not about what happens, but about your response to what happens, how you deal, how you handle with those, how you handle those things, situations. Are you able to take anything on? Do you feel mentally alert? Do you experience joy and elation in life? Do you find it easy to make decisions? I know it's not so easy usually, but these are all questions to consider. Do you have a a, a sense of meaning and purpose? Do you feel energetic? And if not... Hey, it's the beginning of 2020. What are you going to do to change that? Don't let the year just fly by. Do something about it now. If you're not feeling energetic, if you're feeling down, well, now's the time to sort that out. Let's go. Let's do it. What can you do? Do you? Ha- what else do we got here? A couple more questions. Do you have a good influence on events? Okay. Next one. Do you have fun with other people? Do you feel healthy? Because if you ain't healthy, doesn't matter if you're wealthy or anything else. Health is of paramount importance. How much time do you devote to your health? What about your memories of the past? And guess what? You got to remember the past. But you got to live the present and trust the future. And that's why I felt important to discuss this for a moment. And hopefully, if you ponder these thoughts and you're able to give yourself a little bit of a grade on where you're holding in your personal happiness or lack thereof, then the question that I hope to discuss next week right here on Soul to Soul will be, what can you do to be a little happier? How can you make sure that 2020 will indeed be 
a good, positive, optimistic, and happy year. And so there are many possible impediments to our happiness. We all know, whatever it might be, there are so many issues in life that could get in the way of our happiness. Yet, we can still do something to try that despite our negative emotions, we got to do something that we can to become happier, to be happier in our lives. And that's why I invite you to join me on Wednesday evening where we're going to discuss the Torah's perspective, Tanya's ideas on true happiness in your personal life, in your relationship with others, and for a good bright year. So just join us in this discussion, and we'll continue next week right here on Soul to Soul. Please, God, same time, same station, wishing you a happy, joyous, and pleasant, meaningful Shabbos. Stay tuned for the news right up next.